clinical Up. clinical Up. clinical population population clinical population population clinical population Hello everybody, my name's Gabby. I'm Allison. I'm Grant. I'm John. I'm Mike. And welcome to Clinical Populations. <laughs> Introducing music therapists to new bops and new bops to music therapy. And hope everyone is staying, <laughs> yes, hope everyone's staying safe and healthy. Uh, we're starting off with a very special guest, and we are very honored to have him on Clinical Populations. Um, part of the reason why someone chooses to pursue music as a career, uh, be it as a music therapist or educator or artist, is because they've come across another musician that they resonate with who has done the same thing. So whether it's in person, through a teacher, or in your ears from an artist that you've never met in your life but love their song, um, there's some sort of impactful moments or relationship that served as inspiration. So for me, that was in middle school and I had quit piano because I was really tired of learning Bach and Beethoven, which now I'm really grateful for because of the technique, but <laughs> I was tired of it. Uh, so I was on a Delta flight and I came across this guy on um, their in-flight radio who rocked the piano in a way I'd never heard before and sang with the honesty of all the emo rock alts people that I was really digging at the time. And I was like, oh my God, wait, I can play like this? Like, this is allowed? Like, I can do this? Um, so I decided to get back into piano and that led me to jazz band and eventually writing my own songs. And um, eventually to the point where I wanted to pursue music as a career and I wanted to be a songwriter, um, but then fell into music therapy. And now I'm half a decade into practicing clinically and I still write and perform and create all these wild projects and resources like this podcast and all because I heard Landed and One Angry Dwarf on an airplane. So for that, I'm super grateful. I'm very grateful for this man's creativity and advocacy. And I'm honored to introduce you, Ben Folds. Good to be here. Thank you. Yeah. That's amazing. That's, that's, <laughs> that's, that's, that, that, that kind of thing really makes it worthwhile. It, it's, 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 it's really amazing to hear. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. All right, that's it. Good interview. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Great job. I mean, look, I can comment on that all week, but uh, I, thought I'd, uh, I, I thought I'd follow your your uh, your lead on it. I was just basking in the afterglow. Right <laughs> all right. Um, so this is a music therapy podcast about songwriting and you are a songwriter who advocates yes. for music therapy. So yeah. I was wondering, how did you find out about music therapy and what intrigued you about it? Well, I think uh, so much of my um, uh, career has been led by uh, 
by my audience. You know, I get a lot of credit for things that um, uh, people who are listening to my music um, really, really led. And, uh, you know, sort of like uh, uh, early on when so much of my audience were ahead of the curve in computers. And so then, you know, uh, I get credit for being uh, uh, ahead of my time sometimes uh, with the ways I use the internet. I was just following my audience. This is the same thing. Uh, So much of my audience uh, seemed to be bringing music therapy to my attention, either by being a music therapist. uh, It just must be in the, in the, in the demo somewhere. Uh, You know, really uh, I think it was that when I, when I uh, started playing universities. Um, they always give you a ride to the to the gig. You know, like you get picked up at the airport by the college student. That's you know the music interested person who's just kind of being an intern and taking you to your uh, to your gig. And you know when it began, it was you know ambitious kids who had their demo tape and wanted to be famous and they'll play your demo tape. And sometime uh, in the early aughts that changed and started to be a lot of music therapists. So uh, these kids were, were studying music therapy. It struck me that, um, that it was, um, you know, just, just such an honorable use of music. I, 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 I recall when the debate, on how much is music worth uh, was was out there. This so, sort of changing point where, you know, uh, an album had been worth 15 bucks or something, and now suddenly it was worth nothing because people downloaded it. And I began to believe that the, that, the, that the value of music was actually now starting to be in places like music therapy, where it was helping people. And it, you can't, can't place, you can't place a, a price tag on what that does for people and what I started to see it did for people. So to make a long story long, uh, it was my audience bringing it to me personally one at a time. And then pretty soon over the internet where a music therapist would chime in with videos of what they've been doing. The more I got to know uh, them, like everyone on this uh, interview uh, began to realize how varied and diverse the missions were uh, from, from just like very, you know, uh, you know, pain management stuff to getting your gait back uh, from an injury to uh, dealing uh, with autism and uh, stroke and comas. And I just was blown away. So anyway, all that to say is uh, I'll never know enough about it to to actually speak on it uh, uh, that much. And I, I'm just generally a, uh, a cheerleader for it because I think it's such an honorable use of the value of music. How's that for a long answer? <laughs> yeah, that was great. But that's the way I feel about it. And, and, uh, and, and I think, uh, um, I think it ought to be, uh, insured and, in, in every corner of, uh, of, of medicine. And it should be, uh, it should be something that's, that's not tried as a last ditch effort. It should be, uh, people should be educated, to, uh, to, to actually what it is, how effective it is, how accessible it is, how many people right around the corner from your house or hospital or school uh, are, uh, are, are, are educated and, and capable of, of this, how invasive it is not, and, uh, and as many schools as possible to add this to their curriculum. I think uh, that should be the mission over the next yeah. decade. 
Well, thank you for all of your advocacy efforts um, for music therapy. Um, I wanted to know if your relationship to music therapy or your understanding of music therapy has shifted since you first learned about the field. Yeah, I believe at first I wasn't aware of how specific and scientific it could get. Um, I sat on a lot of, uh, you know, cheerleading panels of mayors and Congress people and all kinds of uh, uh, sort of part-time advocates like myself of, of music therapy and began to realize that they were touting a, naively a, a fairly primitive version and understanding of what music therapy is. And so, yeah, you know, pretty chick will come to your uh, hospital and play bongos and you'll feel a little bit better before you die. But it wasn't, uh, it, it, <laughs> you know, later I started really realizing how, um, how scientific and specific it is. It doesn't have to be. I mean, you, you can just, there's nothing wrong with, with, with understanding how to make people feel good. That's, that's half of it you know, but there's also a lot more to it. So over time, I learn more and more uh, about, uh, about the scientific angles of it. I mean, when we, when you introduced yourself over this call, I'm hearing, you know, four really uh, 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 specific different ways to use music therapy, one which I'd never learned and one which I added myself, which I'm going to throw in there, the wing of birth control music. <laughs> Uh, cause no one's tried uh, music therapy for birth control. And I want to put my CD collection <laughs> up for that. I think, I think it'll be helpful. My catalog. We'll collaborate on some research on that. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've done a little bit myself. I mean, just, you know, just sort of, uh, 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 survey and survey shows so far that it's really hard to conceive to a lot of my songs. Yeah, well, the problem, too, is if I tell people I'm listening to you, too, they're like, oh, I'm not going out with you then. You know, I mean, thankfully, I didn't tell my first wife that. So, <laughs> I mean, that's, yeah, yeah. So there's that part of it, not just the listening, but the relationship to, to your music. So um, it's true. Well, you know, interestingly, though, music does really act like that. I mean, people are so socially, uh, you, can't, you can't detangle uh, uh, your association with someone you've just met, and they're like, "Yeah, I dig Nickelback. What about you?" And and you're like, "Yeah, it's good first choice." You know, adding on to that, now I'm going to ask you another question. I'll, I'll base it off, you know, my experience. So, you know, graduated high school, early '90s. Um, I won't tell you. I'm similar age. I was big into grunge. Really spoke to me. And then, you know, Green Day comes out, and it, the punk comes again. Even though I like, you know groups like the Smiths and stuff like that. Yeah. And then you come out with your, your stuff. And I, I, to, to be this relationship is brick um, really hit me. It was like, what the hell is going on? I'm supposed mm -hmm. to be listening to this, to this kind of alternative rock music that, that you had been doing. And it just, it struck me. So stating that that's a long time ago now in my relationship to music has obviously changed. How about yours? What's your relationship to music now? Like, well, I think that that so much of so much of our, our everyday life, we're just inundated with fairly manipulative, loud uh, music that's just on in the background. Um, you know, it's uh, and I guess part of me works to to tune that out um, because I think you know music is about so much about dynamics 
And um, I, I don't want to be desensitized. So I, I think when I pay attention to music, I pay attention to music now uh, in a real concentrated sit down, listen to it specifically. And if it's something that has a score that you can read, you know, if you're listening to a Mozart piano concerto or something, you can get the score out and even connect that visually. I, I like that. Otherwise, people will say, did you notice that song in the cab? And I'm like, there was a song in the cab. To me, it sounded like, like I just tuned it into something different. So I think in a way, maybe my music, the relationship to music has changed in that uh, I, I've, I've tried to put up a, a firewall threshold or something uh, uh, to what I feel like is sort of music, music pollution out there it makes my job harder. And I think it would make your job harder too. I mean, often I've, I've thought that some of my, uh, some of my songs might've come from really bad TV commercial music where I just heard some crap on, on, on television or on the radio and somehow it spun off in my head. And, uh, you know, to, so, so that's, I think, I think I, I've gone to two gears, tune this out. And instead of ever letting something be background music, really, really focus in on it or just not. And that's sort of where I am now. Yeah. I can't remember who said it, but some, uh, some a long time ago, artists um, said, you know, all the music's already been written. We just grab from it, you know, do it over. Or another one was that a good artist um, borrows, but a great artist steals. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that kind of idea of music. Well, I think you're talking about as a manipulative, the manipulation uh, and used to communicate with symbols. And uh, while the symbols themselves are finite, they're the same things over and over again, it's up, down, light, dark, gravity, the heavy, heavy situation, loud, soft. I mean, there, there are, uh, uh, there, there, there are just a, a, you can almost just sit and write down all the symbols over a course of a couple of days as you think about them. But the meanings of the symbols and their context change. And, and I think that's important. I mean, I, I always use the, the example of when I was a kid and suddenly people thought it was so clever for bad to be good. That's bad, man. That's a bad piano part. And you're like, bad dog? What did I do? You know, but you have to get used to it. It's the same symbol. You've hijacked the symbol. And that allows us to be naughty, you know, because then we get our own language. So the youth comes along and gets their own language. There's no way you can keep up once you're over 35 with the symbols that the kids have decided to change the meaning of. It's like they swapped out the meaning. So while we think it's a rehash and while we think all songs have been written and, uh, and, and uh, it's, it's, it's actually pretty complicated. And I choose to let the kids have their things and be the grandpa at the table. He goes, what, what are you talking about now? That is good. You know, like, cause it makes them happy, you know, like they like, they like having their own language. And I'm not, I've not been invited to the party, but even we listening to, um, you know, even if you go back and listen to great classical music, there are some things that are, are you're going to associate with modern times. You can't hear uh, uh, Fur Elise, and not imagine a kid's, you know, toy or something, you know, like, like, like it's, you can't get it back. Like the associations. 
I completely agree with you. And symbolism is so important in how that those meanings, how you find meanings and how music has created meanings and sound and different yeah. kinds of sounds. It almost like call them tropes of these sounds that make meaning. But um, I, I'm, I'm, I won't bore you. I'll let Allison ask a question there. No, it's not boring at all to me. So I guess I'll, uh, I'll switch gears here a bit and talk about your um, advocacy efforts and um, the, that amazing work that you do. So as music therapists, a big part of our job is advocacy work. So whether it's um, supporting self-advocacy and treatment or advocating to help meet the various needs of our clients or for the arts or for our profession, yeah. um, I think we're all very passionate about that topic. So I am in awe of your advocacy efforts uh, nationally uh, through Americans for the arts, where you're bringing awareness of the importance of music education and music therapy and how we need federal funding to support accessibility, um, but also on state and local levels through your work with the symphonies, um, your philanthropic work, speaking from where I'm at now, I'm on Music Row, and you helped stay, save uh, RCA Studio A from being turned into a condo and, and really a part of that Save Music Row effort um, and preserving musical history. So all that to say, I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about your advocacy efforts lately and whether the pandemic has shifted that or changed that in any way. Yeah, it's it's a tough time to uh, advocate for, uh, for arts uh, because one of the things that we're always up against is that uh, uh, the arts in general can appear to be uh, sort of a, 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 a frivolous hobby. Um, and it's, it's like, you know, the, the, in the hierarchy of needs is, uh, you know, is, 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 is way at that ether at the, at the point of the pyramid uh, with self-actualization and then music and, and that you need to get a roof over your head, be healthy, and all those things are true. Um, so it makes it more difficult to be... Um, loud about it. I think in those times, it's best to ask the question sort of to, to, to rip from JFK, you know, not, not what uh, you can do for the arts, but what the arts can do for you to remember that, like with music therapy, which is, I think the prime example of what art can do for you. So rather than going out into the world and saying, I know everyone's uh, in, in dire straits with your job and your possibly your mental health or your health uh, in the middle of a pandemic. But I want you to sit and listen to me about, about, you know, what you can do for me and my arts, you know, that that's a, that's a very difficult um, uh, thing to push. What's more appropriate is in these times to point out, you know, look, art is here to help you. So wh whether, whether it's, you know, music therapy, I think is probably the prime example because it really is music therapy. So by bringing attention to what it does for people, you are advocating long-term, not necessarily for the, the, the nickels and pennies at that moment to pass the bucket around, but to elevate the, uh, um, the awareness and, raise the value of arts and music. The important thing is, is the, the, the sort of unconscious political hit job that happened on 
the arts probably, you know, I mean, I'm going to talk out of my ass here, but it's probably the nineties and it's probably the hit job on the NEA uh, that, that had to do with going, look, we don't want to put money into this because there's some naughty photographers photographing naughty things and you're paying your tax money for it. And we won't pay for that frivolous stuff. So there's suddenly a separation of this. And, and, and I think over the course of 20 years, uh, the, the arts got devalued. And I, I think the important thing is for everyone in my position to go out and, and strategically cheerlead. And I say strategically, because again, I, it, it would be very tone deaf of me to go out and say, the arts needs your help. Because they look at me and go, look, he can afford some backdrops with books and stuff on him and a microphone. Like this guy's rolling in it and he's asking for money. It's not what I ever intended to do. What I want to do is elevate, uh, raise the value of it where it ought to be. And, and, and just to say that it was brought to my attention about a decade ago, and this still holds true, that the federal funding for the arts uh, is accomplished in 20 minutes on the national budget, M meaning that, that if we spent equally all year round, 20 minutes of that would be going to the NEA, NPR, humanities, you know, a couple of things. Once 20 minutes is up, the clock runs out for the rest of the year spending equally and not a cent is paid. So when someone says that, that, that you know, we can't afford it, even symbolically, really? Because look what the arts does for our, uh, our uh, economy and, and our kids and our well-being and music therapy, all these things. And this is what we, this is how we value it. 20 minutes on the entire year. That's another way it's been described. Actually, it was Chris Wallace that said this to me in an interview was a blade of grass next to the uh, Washington Monument. It's, it's, you know, uh, it's the proportion is really hard to, to describe. So that's, that's what I've done lately is I do the same amount of stuff. I just spend more time talking about what art can do for you and a little bit pointing out that our performers out there were the first people, first job that had to go home. And that includes their crews and people who rig the shows and parking lots next door to them and the cafes next to them, the damage that it is done for that to go home first and we'll be the last ones back. And there is, you know, there's a set of us who can kind of redirect our energy like, like me. And I won't say it's even been easy on me, but it's not, it's, that's not, that's not important. I know I was talking to one uh, musician who uh, he was in Sean Lennon's band and we used to tour together and he ended up, you know, doing a gig that I, I just happened to, to run into him over the, over the internet and he's just basically busking now on people's porches and he's really loving it. You know, like he goes to their front porch, plays a socially distanced set and moves on to the next one. And it's just, it's, it shows you the value of music that people really wanted on their porches. He's willing to do it where he used to be a professional touring musician because he likes to make people happy, puts enough dough in his pocket that he can get to the next. It's a new economy. Yeah. And I think too, just, even talking about like the ways in which we've had to be really creative to just navigate this new scope and the new environment. Um, yeah. It, it highlights a lot of resilience, 
within the creative arts yeah. field for sure. And totally. you know, it's it's really it's it's one of the really complex, remarkable things to witness because it is a very trying time, but also to the ways in which we've been able to adapt has been just just great in so many different ways and remarkable is the word that just keeps coming to mind. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. At least you didn't say unprecedented. You know, almost did. And I'm glad I stopped myself. <laughs> <laughs> I've stopped myself a few times too. I'm like, I'm just going to avoid that one for a while. You know, but we can we can use it as a tangent even possibly who knows let's figure it out um <laughs> an unprecedented tangent there we go that's there you go i appreciate it gabby <laughs> always looking out um yes gabby one everyone else zero got it Ooh, <laughs> suck damn it she's always wins Perfect. i hate this game I so. <laughs> hey we're all friends together in a space so we're all winners gabby's just winning a little bit more okay. it's fine it's that's fine. right I think you're right about the resilience. You know what it comes down to, I think, is that whether or not, I mean, it didn't get spoken about. Well, it was, people were aware of it a little bit, but maybe not as a, a it might not have been so obvious to many that the music business, after the technology changed, it was a great depression of, the music business. I mean, so many people didn't make a living in that anymore. People that 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 were making a fine living suddenly weren't. And and it's just like, but people are sorry, there's a wit eater outside my room. You may hear that now. Um, uh, you know, <laughs> is that a new song you're doing? You're making a new song? Yeah, you can sample it. I mean, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Got a major third over the guy anyway. Um, yeah, but, but you know, the, out of that sprung um, music therapy, I think a little bit because the economy changed. Uh, when it comes to um, music education or, or music classes, mu music band classes, all kinds of stuff being less, um, you know, uh, Acapella groups in colleges and high schools took up the slack there. I mean, you were seeing kids learning harmony, voice leading, arrangement, performance out of music class because they weren't being exposed in school as much. And while we need to be careful about pointing that out because some will take that as a cue that they don't need to spend money on, on, on uh, music classes, I think it's a testament to just people's resilience musically. We're music beings. That's just, it's just planted all over the brain. We're all pretty musical. I don't accept anyone's uh, I'm tone deaf stuff. I, I think everyone's pretty musical given a chance and, uh, you know, so in these times, it won't be any different. It, uh, people will be very musical about it. And um, it's just it's just the way we are. I think it's best to surrender to that concept and just, again, what can music, what can art do for you? There's always there's always something. Yeah. If you don't mind me adding on to that, um, is I completely agree. I try to say that, you know, especially in therapy, we are all inherently creative beings and healthy beings yeah, and true. creativity is health, you know, as you know, 
famous psychotherapist said, you know, from Winnicott, it's not playing in games. And it's just that dice you're placing was that you have to be here to really be a musician. We're no, well, we're all inherently artists and musical and that can, you know, get in the way. Um, so I, I, I agree with what you're saying. Yeah. I mean, if we weren't, well, you know, I've just started a, a podcast myself about creativity uh, in fact, I, one of my first interviews was uh, I interviewed Megan Morrow. I'm sure you all know. Uh, and uh, you know, one 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 of the interviews I did was with a, uh, a an anthropologist. I believe he's a primatologist mostly uh, about human evolution and creativity, because I've always felt like, I mean, it must be true that that people would still be being eaten by many more animals if we weren't creative. So creativity itself is, is burned in, and that's, that's our, that's our superpower. So for people to say, Oh, I'm not very creative. Well, you're not very creative about the way you're framing yourself, but, but, but you'd be surprised because if you're not creative and don't have ideas, you, you, you you're not going to, you're not going to survive. That's, that's what, so tapping into that, uh, is important. It comes back to valuing these things a little more instead of saying, oh, that's very creative. You just go over there in the corner with your little arts thing and paint your little pictures while we're out here, you know, in big business getting things done with our, well, yeah, our creative idea for our business. That was creative, that's sure. But the, and, and the website, oh, well, and the logo, the art, and actually the presentation, that was creative too. But other than that, we're not creative. Um, that was so perfect of a transition honestly because uh, my next question was to ask you how do you conceptualize or define creativity well i mean i think it's just it's it's generating ideas it's it's chunking ideas in a way that you can leverage uh, for a uh, for a goal so you know as is you know even that this room is an example it's the worst room to light and broadcast from little ideas. All right. Well, that cost me 20 bucks. Easy. Clip it up. Like I'm drying my, my laundry. And, uh, and there's a, there's an idea. Um, you know, it's different from the idea of maybe creating a symphony. That's a much more specific idea. Um, but you know, people in the, in the arts have decided to, really focus on one very, very specific kind of expression. And I think music and composition of music, uh, it can, it can just continue up to the highest place in the atmosphere as, as far as how, you know, how, how, um, how specific, uh, artistic nuanced ingenious it is. Um, but that's just one form of creativity that someone's decided because it could be viewed as a little freakish to walk around all day long and just concentrate on, you know, woodwind, uh, you know, woodwind voicing or something like that. But that's what the world is. Some people are concentrating on how to get a distribution system together uh, for Amazon. And that's all they do, you know, and, and thank goodness that's a creative idea. I think a lot, a lot of people want to take issue with everyone getting to be an artist or every child's work is, is art. I mean, that's, 
that's a fun cafe uh, debate to have. Uh, and it can be interesting. But at the end of the day, it doesn't need to eclipse the more important issue, which is that creativity and ideas are what make us survive. So, you know, I had to, like everyone else, I had to put my creative mind to, okay, I'm locked down in this place. This is not the normal set of circumstances for me. So I need to be creative. Hell, I thought it was just as creative for me to like choose a microphone, a webcam, back to this achievement right here, as it was for me to figure out how to put a piano, bass, and drums band on the map. I don't know why I didn't get applause when I ordered this off the internet. It's like, yay! No, no applause for that. But I felt just as creative about it. So when I see people do creative things and they're not getting applause, <laughs> you know, I don't think it's fair. Yeah, and you know, one of the things that you touched on too is kind of the focusing point and where it can be, I guess, like kind of intimidating of a process to engage in creativity. Yeah. Um, and I was just curious if you would be willing to share a little bit about like your creative process and how you manage uh, not getting overwhelmed by that process. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I, like I said, I don't really, I don't really distinguish um, my, music artistry from how I might decide to fold my clothes or something or, or, or learn to, to cook something. I'm, I'm not that good of a, in the, in the kitchen, but you know, I, I, I don't see them as different. The first thing is there's something I want to achieve and I just have to look at what the tools are around me. A lot of times for me, the creative process is I enjoy um, breaking the rules a little bit, you know, like uh, it's always an attractive thing to me. And that's an important creative building block for me because I feel like the solutions are often right there and we're programmed to do it a certain way. So my, my version of, of being creative is, is often just being naughty. You know, like when it came to music, it was like, well, we can really distort the bass too much and we could just leave the guitar out and why can't you put a real piano up on the stage what needs to happen to do that and so you go through a, a series of of uh, problem solving to do the things i'm especially attracted to the things that people say you can't do uh that's very attractive because that means that you've got far less uh competition as, as, as soon because you know everyone believes that so when someone says that can't be done i'm like all right well let's try to start problem solving arguably that that may be elon musk's lasting achievement is that when someone says something can't be done it's like well let's see if it can be done so let's look at the tolerances of all of these pieces of engineering uh in in, in making something light or taking friction out of if we can just shave a little bit out of each of these, then suddenly it's achievable. It wouldn't seem creative, but just the very defiant act of, of doing something that people say can't be done requires a lot of, so that's what I employ in my music. You know, I think, okay, well, you know, as soon as someone tells me that you can't hear uh, uh, five bass flutes within the symphony orchestra, then I'm thinking, 
okay, let's get a bass flute pickup. Let's get some amplifiers. And since that gets in everyone's way, let's elevate those amplifiers so they don't get in everyone else's signal. And you just start thinking of how to do that. Pretty soon someone will go, well, he's known for his great bass flute sound, you know, but it really usually is because there was a problem which most people stopped at. So my creative process is looking for what's in front of me. How many of those things are luminous in that they're, they, 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 they are glowing with the, you know, with like inherent naughtiness or something that can't be done, you know? And I think that that's in business, it works that way for people to go, well, they said it couldn't be done, you know? And that's attractive to me for creativity. There's a, sorry, there's an old, I forget who the philosopher said it, but creativity is the greatest rebellion in existence. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. Love I think, it. I want to say Aristotle, Plato, but maybe even later. I think show. it was Xander's. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, let's I put that down. I think it was Xander's who said. Don't, don't give him that much credit. I'll be famous, man. I'll be famous. <laughs> I developed a quote. I have to figure it out, but sorry. I didn't mean to. I'll look it up. I'll just, look it just up. Just quote yourself. Osho. Maybe Osho. Okay. Mm. Yeah. Osho. It is Osho. There we go. Damn, I can't take credit Show, for it. Oh, show. Oh, show. Son of a. So, Ben, uh, a lot of times the creative process can be very intimidating uh, in like creating music or, or in other ways. Um, but how do you think that particularly musicians or music students can approach the creative process to make it seem less intimidating um, and feasible? Yeah, well, I mean, I think you have to ask yourself what what is intimidating you? What's what is what's scary? Um, mm -hmm. That's you. It's 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 ticking around up here, and it's not a bad impulse. It's a quality control impulse that people have not to have bad ideas is usually the biggest thing. Um, no one wants to be seen playing a crappy note, bad, bad performance, a, 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 an idea that turns out with someone else's. Um, we don't want that. But the truth is, is that you will have to put yourself out there or you can, or, or, or something that, that you should have been afraid of, which was utter inaction, nothing, uh, uh, uh you know, just, uh, yeah, just doing nothing. That that's that's actually the thing that you should be more more afraid of. And um, I, I think it's I think you know I've heard now a lot of a lot more artists sort of come forward and admit how many bad ideas they have, how afraid they are, and how you you have to actually embrace failure. And I think that's a good thing. That in itself is a certain kind of advocacy. If you can, if you can get the the uh, artist that 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 we uh, that we look up to, to just a, abandon the brand for just a moment, and and uh, just to let us in on on how much suck they've engaged in, and um, that's that's what's intimidating. You know, it, from the moment that someone I remember being, um, I was completely scared to sing a note. I'd been told from a young age that it was not 
a cool thing to do to open your mouth to sing. And that particular for me, I didn't have a good voice, so you should not do it. So um, I took that to heart at a very young age. So as soon as I went into even a class, uh, class vocal, you know, a vocal class with five or six other students in, in, in there, and we were on a semicircle and the teacher's going around and having you sing certain things. I mean, I was sweating up a storm. Why? What, 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 what was going to happen to me? Uh, I didn't kill nobody like, but, but it's real. So one thing that would have been helpful for me would have been for the teacher, for someone to say, we all suck. Let's just all sing a shitty note now and help this kid out. Cause he's obviously <laughs> somewhat abused on this, on this subject. And, um, and, you know, when it comes to your musical ideas, yes, you're going to spew forth ideas that are going to be identified as someone else's or bad, just not put together. Well, bad idea. But if you don't do it, the, the good ones are not going to come in shortly after. So, you know, uh, whatever we have to do to help with getting their, uh, getting their, uh, getting their fear out of the way and just, you know, and some people are, are less fearful. I mean, I've worked in the studio with um, musicians who are freakishly self, they're, they're cool with it, but many of us aren't. And I think it's just, when you see someone like that, you just kind of got to, I think you just one at a time, uh, get this person to, uh, uh, to, 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 to see that, that nothing happened. It takes a while. It's, it's, it's built in your system, but you have to start somewhere. So you start by sweating from everywhere that people sweat and being scared to death in a safe place with someone like, show me the idea. It's fine. Just show me the idea. Yeah. That's a shitty idea. I love it. That's great. Here, listen to my shitty idea. No one died. You know, it's hard though. It's, and, and that's, you see people like when they raise their hand and they can't even ask a question in a, in a, in a class. That was me, believe it or not. Look at this guy talk now. I was scared to death. I'd raise my hand. I'd say something. I feel like my head got bigger than like, uh, uh, you know, like the, the, the Pete Floyd line about my head felt like hands felt like two balloons. I feel like my head felt like a balloon in class. <laughs> you know? Yes. Yeah. Um, when you were talking about uh, the singing and being scared to sing, mm. it actually reminded me of um, where I work now. Uh, there's a client that I've been working with who writes a lot of songs. And when we first started working together, um, she was, she, she's just writing about, you know, Corona, trying to get through it and mm. stuff. And uh, she um, was writing them, playing guitar, but wouldn't sing them. And she's like, I want you to sing them. And I was like, but this is your song. Like you need to sing it. Uh -oh. And she's like, well, a long time ago, I had a teacher who said I wasn't a great singer and I just don't feel like I can do it. Yeah, and so true. I immediately just like, I actually asked Allison, I was like, Hey, um, because Allison sings. <laughs> and I was like, how do, um, how, what would be a good way to help build mm confidence so that eventually this person would want to sing her own songs yeah so over the past couple of months we've just been doing very like bare minimum like singing exercises Good. but also like confidence self-expression type things so um i think yeah, the more you feel 
your head vibrate and it sets the room off and no one died. I, I, th I think just the, the practice of that eventually, um, I, I, really singing lessons is a good thing too, just, just basic because so much of, of vocal coaching is just on meaningless syllables. So you can detach yourself a little bit and go through, go through the, uh, go through the motions of just going na, 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 bo, 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 me, me, me through, through things. And, and I, I think just doing that over and over again is good. That combined with assurance from any great singer that they have had, uh, you know, moments of it being really scary. And, and mm -hmm. uh, also it, it is harder to do. Um, it's scarier to do when you're doing it quote wrong you can feel in it and it's a snowball effect where you close yourself more. So all those things that, you know, snowballs, like you, you know, if you are already afraid to sing, the first thing you're going to do is tighten stuff up, move, you know, uh, uh, what they call tension dysphonia happens yep. as your, as your uh, apparatus moves up and your breathing is, is more restricted. And that just goes to prove the point even more. So, uh, yeah, I think a combination of doing it and having people assure you that there's no good or bad sound going on here. You're just making a, a sound, you know, here, here's a, let me show you a bad sound. Ah, there you go. We're fine. Let's hear your bad sound. I used to have people imitate like weird, um, uh, and this is when I, I loved recording and very often you're working with amateur singers as you're an amateur yourself. And sometimes they get really scared when they get on the mic. I would have them do things like imitate like John Wayne. Be like, what? It's like, yeah, just sing it like John Wayne. Oh, I, I sing like that. And actually it, it, it's helpful. For yeah, me, it's Josh sometimes. Carbon. Oh, Josh Carbon. <laughs> yeah. If I scare, I start singing like Josh. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes it's just going back to basics and connecting to your body and doing mm. the thing that we do naturally with it, which is, breathing, you know, just connecting back to that right. breath work and feeling into your body and how do I make sound? And I think my favorite client moment was him in an improvisation, just making crow sounds, like all kinds of animal sounds and just feeling the freedom of expressing himself. I think that's like my all-time favorite memory of that. Oh, but that's awesome. Yeah. But yeah, sometimes just taking it back and, and teaching them how are you breathing? How are you connecting to that sound? A crow um, does sound a little like John Wayne. We're on to something here. Yeah, right. <laughs> it, it is. There's something. There's a, you know, you know that that kind of behind feeling that that they they talk about singers getting behind it. And there's a, I don't know. I just that's the best I can do to describe that when it's working. When you go ah, there is something there. It's a part of your 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 sound. So a crow is perfect. That's actually kind right? of right. It's nature. All right. Now she's getting into crow music therapy now. No more than fertility <laughs> stuff. So it's all, it's all changed. Innovation. What can I say? <laughs> we have these birds. They're butcher birds around here. Um, and it's uh, one starts out by singing. Starts out in 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 D and moves up to E flat every single day. But starts just a little flat, I guess, with less air. Pitch perfect. Like, it's crazy. I don't know how they do that. I don't know. If He's warming up. 
Yeah. <laughs> he was, he's a little bit ashamed in the morning of his morning voice. Moves it up to the proper pitch. It's like he can do it, but it's crazy that it's identical. And if you walk around the neighborhood for a mile, you hear them all, they sing in E flat, E flat G dead on. I mean, not like sort of a little off. I don't understand that. Amazing. It is. I was in quarantine for two weeks and uh, in uh, Perth, which is Western Australia is on the other side of where I am. I'm in Sydney here because I just went out on tour. I played six orchestra shows. What? Just last, yeah. Amazing. I miss wow. live music. <laughs> uh, it, it was pretty bizarre. Um, people asked me if it was like riding a bike, you know, I was like, yes, I got back up on it. I, I broke some ribs, bruised my uh, knee. Uh, and then I got better again. <laughs> um, yeah, it was pretty crazy. But um, while I was in quarantine, outside my window was one crow. And it was pretty much me and the crow. So it comes back to that crow. <laughs> it does. And live music was pretty crazy. It's this is not on our subject, but I I, I want to impress on my music musician friends back in the U.S that I've seen a little glimpse of the future in touring in sort of recovering COVID times. And while it's a, a, it's a great relief and I'm grateful to do it, it's very challenging. You know, like each state will like report one or two cases. Right now in Victoria, they have 13 cases and it is a national emergency because they know those 13 cases will turn into a thousand in a couple of weeks. So everyone suddenly is asked a lot. And for me, it was constant unexpected quarantine. Uh, one rehearsal I, uh, I had to, it was fine, but wore the mask and everyone had to back off as I walked through because I'd been, I'd been in another state. And then I took off my mask at my bubble right there. And, um, you know, these things change by the day. Uh, I played a show and got off stage and there was a message uh, that, that was from one of the state governments that said, you were in an area, contact tracing, you were in an, in an area, you need to quarantine immediately and get in touch with the, the authorities. Well, I just stepped off the stage playing with an 80 piece orchestra and <laughs> spraying my notes out to the front row. So I was like, oh, that's about 10 minutes late because I just got off stage. So I went straight into quarantine. I think I got uh, I got about uh, uh, eight COVID tests in two weeks. Uh, so, so the future will be that the closer the U.S. especially gets to being COVID free, a new set of challenges because no one's going to want to go back. Um, so even though it'll come back, we had to really think about it because I wasn't traveling with a crew. So we didn't have to have six people quarantined. It was just me. Uh, I was working with state-supported orchestras. They had a line into the government to make things work more smoothly. But what if I'm playing rock shows on a, on a tour bus? And we're like riding around the U.S. like suddenly like looked at like the Ebola monkeys spreading the love around all the states and how they deal with it. It's going to be it's going to be a while. I That's what I got equal cause for caution as I did inspiration out of that. 
I know you didn't sign up for that, wow. but I thought I'd tell you about it. It's interesting to know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, here's back to music therapy. The thing is, is my father's uh, perception rightly was that, and he would say to me, Benjamin, uh, maybe one out of a million uh, makes it in music. It's very hard life. Uh, wouldn't, wouldn't try that. But now I would encourage your parents to say, you know, yeah, one in a million, um, you know, makes it in that business, maybe, maybe fewer. Um, but there's great value in being a musician over here, exhibit a music therapy and 10,000 facets of it. Like this, you can do so many things, songwriting, you know, Gabby, what you're doing with, with, with people uh, writing songs, you have to know consciously things about songwriting that a lot of songwriters haven't really, I haven't really considered, you mm -hmm. know, the process of it, you know, you have to mm -hmm. make this accessible uh, to, um, to, to different people in songwriting form and stuff. So it's, you know, I, 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 I would say, yeah, I wouldn't encourage to go out and be a rock star so much as I, I might look at, uh, look at, look at music therapy. And that's the reason I cheerlead for that is because um, I, I, I think if, if, if people can think, wow, he's in the cool end of the business there supposedly, and he's bowing down to this, maybe there's something over there to look at. Um, my day is my day. This is what I'm doing the last you know, however long we've been talking. That's what I'm doing with my time. I'm not in tight leather pants shaking my ass in front of a crowd getting paid a million dollars right now. This is what I've chosen to do. I'm telling you that music therapy is worthwhile. I'm spending my time in it right now. So anyone that's watching this, who's on the fence about what they need to do, I, I, I say you, you, you ought, to be, ought to be proud of it. I find it a real rewarding, even if I'm just sort of a, a backbenching cheerleader. That means a lot. That means a lot. Um, yeah. 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 Definitely. Um, okay. We've talked a lot about music therapy. As we should. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know but, what? Can I say one more thing about music therapy that's impressive yes, to me? Yes, go for it. The more music therapists you talk to and the longer you talk to them, you start to realize how tough they are. I mean... Some of the stories of uh, I've heard from music therapists, and this isn't to make someone shy away from it as much as I think a lot of people jump into a, a, an occupation because they realize that they're up to the challenge, you know, and it's like, you know, I, I, I've, I have a friend that's that's an, a nurse in in ER in, in, in New York. Uh, and to me, it's like I would run, <laughs> run away. <laughs> But this is this is what she's attracted to to helping people that way, and I think music therapy. Uh, um, some of the stories I've heard of uh, of how tough it is, sort of on the front lines. It, it it's 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 not for the, you know, it's tough, and um, you could of course go into a kind of music therapy that would be less and less, but you're still going to be emotionally invested in your patients and your, and your clients, no matter to what degree. And so some, someone who's really empathetically minded and, and tough, these are the sort of re recruits I would imagine um, 
that 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 you need to understand uh, that it's it's very real um yeah just an aside i appreciate that part of it and, and i'm off and i'll hear a story usually as an aside you know like someone that they'd worked with for five years had, had just passed they're like are you serious and i'm like yeah i'm i haven't been myself for two weeks but i get up and go to work and still do it and you're like wow that's pretty real it's a it's a very real uh, occupation on, on, on kind of frontline stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. John's talked a lot about, uh, his work with, um, assisted living and end of life care, that sort mm -hmm. of thing. And it, it really does. It, mm. it weighs on you. Um, but there is also such a blessing from what I get to do and a privilege and an honor of sharing those moments mm. with people. Um, that makes it completely mm. worth everything to do my job. Yeah. I don't know where you put that all. I think it's, <laughs> it's really, seriously, I think that's amazing. Uh, yeah. That's, 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 that's heavy stuff. And obviously rewarding because yeah. look, you're doing it. Yes. Like, like you say, it's just, it requires a little bit of <laughs> emotions. It does. And it's like you said, it's, it's being up for the job because I did my internship in this setting and it was really my first like full exposure to it. And I fell mm. in love with it. And in school, I never would have, I didn't want to do hospice or anything like that. I was, I was like, that's going to be too emotional. Yeah. I can't handle that. Um, but then getting exposed to it, I'm like, actually, I really feel built yeah. for this. And like, this is what I meant to be doing. So, um, yeah. Is it cause you see a result too? No, because I don't, well, hmm. I work a lot with dementia. And so like a lot of times we're working on getting somebody better and they're not going to get better. Um, so I'm not necessarily looking for the result, but it's those moments that I get to spend with them and just be, yeah. The management of it though, on some level or the moments I guess that's what it is. Yeah. The, 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 the moments when you connect and suddenly you get it all firing for a second. Yes. Oh, pumps me up. Like, like the Glenn Campbell movie yeah. or something. The relationship. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well. <laughs> <Ooh>. Woo. <laughs> Yay, music therapy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, one thing we did want to bring up is your podcast. Can you tell us a little bit about what it's about, how you got into it, what what it is yeah. even? It's, it's just, you know, we talked about it a little bit. It's part of uh, part of my advocacy, I guess, is uh, just about creativity. And I, I want to talk to I, I want the artist on to illuminate um, their, you know, their vulnerabilities, um, their process, their failures, because I think that's very helpful. And their theories on how and when they are creative. And in perspective, like, you, you repaired your car the other day. Did you find that that was creative? And then, of course, talking to scientists, um, you know, is another thing, like speaking to a, an archaeologist or, I mean, a, 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 um, a, you know, like a primatologist like I just did. Or I'll be speaking with the man who brought us recorded whale sounds. He's 86 years old. Uh, and... Um, he he made uh, he made the songs of the humpback whales so popular with audiences in the '70s through his 
through his work, recording them and releasing them, that Greenpeace picked up the cue and basically did save the whales. So he's huge in that. Uh, you know, there's so much to talk about creatively, like the creative, the creativity or the expression possibly of the humpback whales as he's analyzed the musicologist, their songs for years and years, how they've changed over the years and his own creativity, how he took something that was like just going on beneath the sea, made the biggest selling capital records release of the seventies and saved the humpback whales. That took some creativity. So these, these things I, I want to keep hammering creativity. And with each of my guests, I have them, um, give me an idea for a song on the spot and record it. Doesn't matter if like, if they're a scientist, then they, they might just go save the whales. And then I might make something out of it, but I make a song out of it. And that's part of the, uh, part of the podcast. Plus they all give me something I'm calling new week's resolution, which is this week we all resolve to try this one exercise or awareness exercise towards being creative. And some of them are just like sit and stare at a tree. Others are, you know, read poetry. So we, we all have that. And I promise to do it myself just to give us a way to kind of unlock, you know, just we're all stuck. That's the way we feel. So to keep us all unstuck. So that is my, uh, that's my mission. I've got, you know, five or six of them in the can now. Um, you know, we're bringing on sponsors. So I got to, I, I make, make sure I, I, I shill some product. So we've got to put that in there. <laughs> sell, sell some sugar water or something, I guess. Always important. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What, what's the name of your podcast? Lightning Bugs, which is the, uh, the name of my, my book. So I just thought I'd tie it in with that. That's it. Available in Available. one person's apartment. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Yeah. John, you got anything else? You got no. anything else for me? I oh, know. Mike? Oh, I got a thousand things I got to ask you now, man. <laughs> First, we got to go back to phylogeneticists, and then we've got to talk about this Whoa. philosophy of creativity. No, I'm kidding. Um, no, Wait, I, did I, you say Osho a while ago? Is that what you said? Osho, yeah. Do you mean like the Rajneeshi Osho? Yes. Yeah, he said that creativity is the greatest yeah. rebellion to existence. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah. I think it's time to wrap up. Well, oh. would would seem that way. I, I could talk all, all, <laughs> all day and night. But. We would love to talk all day and night. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, thank you, Ben, so much yeah. for coming on our podcast. We really appreciate Absolutely. you taking time to talk to us. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Oh, um, good good yeah, to see you. you all. Thank you. Yes. Thank you so much. Thank, 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 thank you all for what you do. And, and I'm always here to cheerlead and yeah, thank you. <laughs> all right. Wow. Thanks y'all. Awesome. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Hey everybody. Gabby here. Thank you so much for listening to our episode with Ben Folds. It was such a great conversation. If you'd like to hear more conversations like this with artists and all of their great music, we ask that you consider supporting us financially through our Patreon with either a one-time or monthly donation that gets you some great rewards like sneak peeks, bloopers, and apparel. 
And you can find our Patreon at patreon.com slash clinicalpopulations. Another option to support us financially is grabbing some apparel or gear directly from our BOP shop, which is clinicalpopulations.threadless.com. And both of those links can be found in our show notes. Thanks.